Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hello, everyone. This is Marianne Russo. Thank you for joining us today. I am going to be bringing parents today a... um, what we're calling your legal toolbox. We're going to be talking about um, the different accommodations and classifications for children, the IEP process, the 504, the IDEA, and special education law. We're going to be tailoring this three-part series to kids with behavioral issues, Um, you know, kids whose behavior affects their ability to learn or even their ability to, to attend school. So, Um, We're going to be bringing you this primer, but before we do, I do want to introduce you to somebody who we know and love here on the Coffee Clatch. Uh, He's a psychiatrist, New York Times bestselling author, and leading authority on ADHD, Dr. Ned Hollowell. Um, He is the author, as everyone knows, for Driven to Distraction, Driven from Distraction, and Overstretched. And um, Dr. Hollowell has a podcast. It's called Distraction Podcast, and it is fantastic. It is going to explore the crazy, busy, ever-connected 24-7 world that we are driven to distraction by. And you are going to be able to catch those on iTunes. And for more information on that, visit distractionpodcast.com. So here we go. My guest today and for the next three series, uh, three of the series, is Bonnie Shenagel. She is a special edu- education attorney in Manhattan and in Syosset, Long Island. And um, we're hoping that we're really going to just clarify things in very down-to-earth terms for parents that are starting out on the special education um, accommodation journey. So, Bonnie, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So, they're going to be throwing out a lot of words here, and we want to just keep it really simple for parents and let them understand that there are accommodations for children with behavioral issues because most people think of 504s and accommodations for children with learning disabilities, and, you know, that's true. And a lot of children with learning disabilities also have um, behavioral issues, but there are children that don't have any learning disabilities that do quite well academically, but for um, their neurobiological disorders or their mental illnesses are really struggling um, to conform to um, the standard classroom. So let's start off just by giving a definition of what some of these terms mean. And for the first part of the series, we're going to focus on the 504 and the CSE process and an IEP. So, you know, a parent is seeing their child is struggling or the school is calling every day and the the children's just not meeting, um, you know, uh, meeting the criteria. So how does a parent go about getting a CSE and what 
would they ask for? What laws would help? And we'll start with the 504. Okay. So you've kind of asked two questions, but that's okay. First of all, you're right. This area is fraught with all of these terms, and, and it's really confusing because I was that parent. And what happens is it's like you've walked into three different countries and people are speaking at you in 25 different languages, you know, a 504, a CSE, an IEP, and you don't know what the heck anyone, any of this means, and it's really confusing. So let's straighten this out. Okay, Section 504 of the Rehab, Rehabilitation Act of 1973 has certain rules. This is a federal law enacted by Congress, and there are certain parts of it that impact on children who are, in, who are of school age in public schools or any school getting a penny of federal funding. So if your child is in a private school, they may be able to get a 504 if that private school is getting a dime from the federal government. Um, and the Individuals with Disabilities Act is called, I call it the IDEA, a lot of people say IDEA. I'll say IDEA. So that's a separate law. It's a different law, and they're two different things. So 504 prohibits discrimination and exclusion. And it doesn't look to see whether a child is making progress in school or not. So when you have a very bright child who's just not going to fail classes until maybe they start getting to college because they're really, really brilliant, but they have other problems, school districts are going to steer you to a 504 because the child isn't failing. Because 504 doesn't look at progress. All 504 seeks to do is is to level the playing field, if that makes any sense. And you can give any service or accommodation under 504 as you can with the IDEA. Now, under 504, you're going to get a plan, and it's going to describe the related services and accommodations and supports that a child might need. Let's go back because this is starting to get a little complex. So we're going to take it down. We're going to take it down, okay? Um, 504 has an advantage also to help children who are excluded from, let's say, extracurricular programs. Let's say your child has Tourette's syndrome and they vocalize. Um, and the school says, you can't be part of our band our orchestra, because we don't want that. Well, guess what? 504 provides protection. Um, the 504 plan just is, I'm trying to think of a good word, it's sort of like a doctor's prescription. Here you go, go to the counselor once a week, um, you'll have modified homework, you'll get fewer questions on the exam or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no reporting. There's no reporting back to see whether these accommodations have, in fact, helped the child feel more comfortable in school, let's say if they have anxiety or if they have um, reduced any of the behaviors that might have a problem. So there's no benchmarking with the nope. 504? None. No. What type of... Um, what type of services would be possibly included under a 504? Literally anything. Literally anything. From counseling once a week. So every school has school psychologists, right? They're not licensed 
This is a difference. The person who has the shingle out on the street who's a psychotherapist has to be licensed. School psychologists are not. But you can provide for sensory breaks. You can provide that the child goes to the, psycholo- the school psychologist as needed. Um, you name it. You can have well, reading you know, instruction. A lot, of, a lot of these children... Um, and then I'm going to go back to something else. But a lot of these children, um, you know, are, are taking medications. And, you know, mm-hmm. some of these medications cause awful side effects. And sometimes, you know, children need to be home for a few days um, when they're first trying a medication. You know, different disorders like the Tourette's and OCD can be affected by a lot of environmental factors, by viruses, by strep infection. They can have severe exacerbations. Um, so, you know, would something like a homework exemption for time of exacerbation, maybe home tutoring um, for whatever period of time a child may be out, or a truncated day? I mean, I am a very strong proponent of truncated days for these kids where either they start later or they leave early. Um, would all of these things um, be included in a 504? There's no reason why not. There's no rule against it to the extent that you're allowed to do those things. Home instruction has its own Rules. Now, remember, 504 is a federal law. We live in a country that has a federal government and a state government. So there, your, your individual state regulations and your local school district regulations are other things uh, that will determine whether the accommodations that you just mentioned, like truncated day, for example, are permitted or whether home instruction is permitted. That's a very localized issue. 504 is a federal law. Big difference. So, so what's the difference then between a 504 and an IEP? And, you know, because some parents are like, well, he has a 504, but he doesn't have an IEP, or I want to get an IEP. What is the difference, and how? what are the pros and cons of each? Oh, my favorite question. I'm so glad you asked. So 504... As we pointed out before, it does not require any benchmarks at all. You can give that plan in the beginning of the year, and it can be thrown into a drawer and where it will fester. The IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Act, requires that once you've identified a child with a disability, and there are specific disabilities, there's a laundry list, um, they have to be provided with an individualized education Program. That's what an IEP is. That's what that acronym means. Okay? So that's a really special document, and that will discuss all of the accommodation supports. It will include goals, and it will require reporting. So that's one of the big, big differences. That's really significant. In the IDEA, if you're going to give, let's say, truncated days or reduced homework assignments um, because the child has been having a problem. Well, you know what? You've got to report back, and let's say you then have goals as well. You've got to see whether you're going to have to see whether those – I'm really not saying this very well, am I? The school district is going to have to report back to the parents to tell them whether the child is accomplishing the goals or not and whether they're making progress. The well, IDEA, that's great because it, yeah, yeah. Because it, it then puts um, some accountability um, to the plan. Exactly. So, so, so that's great. You know, it, it, it's, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, so, you know, if a child has a 504 plan 
And if the school doesn't follow the plan and nothing happens, why would a school issue a 504 plan? Great. Another great question. Um, See, I come up with them every once in a while. You come up with the most amazing (laughs) questions. So I have a very skeptical point of view. Okay, I'll be generous and charitable. I'll try to be gen- I'm going to try to be the better person and not be bitter um, because I'm totally over it, not. Um, why would they give a 504? Well, first of all, the school districts are not well, they have lawyers in their stables readily available. But the administrators might not really know the difference. Ha ha, I'm being really charitable. They know the difference. Trust me, they know the difference. So because they know the difference and the parent doesn't, that's why they give a 504 plan. <laughs> Very easy. Um, because there's, the relief that's available under the IDEA is not available under 504. They know that the 504 plan does not require any accountability whatsoever, and they can appear to be nice and put the thing in a drawer where it will fester forever. And the IDEA requires some responsibility and some accountability. And what a hassle is that? I mean, if you had a choice where you had to be accountable to me as opposed to not, which one would you choose? Right. You know, and all districts are different. I mean, I was just unbelievably fortunate because I hear the horror stories literally every day from parents. Um, I was very fortunate um, that, you know, my district was more than forthcoming with everything. But – You know, I think the problem comes in where you have these um, kids that just don't fit the mold, and more and more of them are creating a mold, by the way. But, you know, um, schools are often at a loss of what to do. So, you know, so you have the 504, you know, you say, okay, we're going to start with the 504 and see if it helps. You know, if it doesn't help, then I guess you move on and you ask for um, an IEP. Now, you know, one of the things that I think parents are unaware of is that, you know, parents can request these meetings through a CSE meeting to see what the needs are. Um, But also parents are not aware that at these meetings, at a CSE meeting, um, and you're looking for an IEP, that strengths must be listed. So your child's strength must be listed. And it may seem somewhat unimportant when it comes to all of the challenges they're going through and all of the deficits and the negatives, but actually it's not because you need to use out-of-the-box thinking when you're in these meetings. And you need to make sure that not only you're aware of your child's strengths, but the school is aware of it because, you know, they want to take away that art class and give them two, you know, reading classes. And, yes, the child may need some support, but the fact of the matter is they need to foster these gifts and help these kids. So there's a lot of thinking that needs to go on when you're dealing with this. You know, some kids may need a supportive staff. Some kids may need assistive technology. I mean, there's so many things that can go into these IEPs. Now, what is the accountability Let's just say you did the 504, nothing happened. You move on, you get the IEP. Um, what accountability is there? And the second part of, of the question is parents often hear, is your cl- child classified? So what is classification, and does that come under 504, or does that come under IEP, or is that something completely different? Okay. So a couple of terms have been thrown out here. One of them is CSE. And some people might not know what that is. That's okay. a New York. That's a New York specific term, and that's the Committee on Special Education. Okay. Other states like Connecticut and New Jersey, which are contiguous to us, 
call those committees by different names. But because we're sitting in New York today, we're going to call a committee on special education. So for those of you who are listening from other states, realize that the committee that you're going to may have a different name. It's the same thing. And the committee is specified by the federal, the overarching federal statute. So that's an important thing to know. Um, Gosh, I pretty much forgot your question. You asked a lot of things. Classified. Classification is a very special term that refers to people who do have who have been given IEPs. Even though, you know, when you're given a 504 plan, that labels the child as a person with a disability. So I think the root definitions are really important. A person with a disability under Section 504 is someone who has something that interferes with a major life activity. Major life activity can include reading, writing, working, and learning. So they've managed to confuse everything. The IDEA looks to see whether a child is making progress in education. So if you have this really bright kid who keeps on getting A's, or sometimes those grades are falsified, hate to say it, um, but it's true, they make the kid look good, um, and they say, but he's making progress. He's still, look at these grades. This is amazing. But he gets kicked out of class every other minute because he's behaving and distracting everyone. So the IDEA looks to progress. Classification refers to someone who has an, an IEP, who's been given an IEP. Parents have I think this is kind of the point that you're trying to make. Parents have power. You guys have power. You can ask. You can ask for your child to be evaluated. That's the beginning of everything under the IDEA. And you don't just go up and knock on the door of the principal and say, hey, how are you doing today? I want my kid evaluated. Everything you do must be in writing. Um, And, yes, some school districts are really great, and they're really helpful, and they will guide you, and others will not. Um, It's really variable. But you have to ask for these things in writing. You need to ask for an evaluation, and that's where you start. And sometimes schools will try a 504 plan without benchmarks and without goals. And then if that doesn't work, they will move on to the classification process. They need to evaluate for all suspected disabilities. And what I've seen happen a lot is they'll identify one thing, like ADHD, and they will ignore the, the dyslexia. That's a big one. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll, sit, you'll go into this room, and you'll be surrounded by a bunch of people, and they'll start talking in these languages that you don't understand about neuroscience and educational methodology, um, and they'll say yay or nay. So you need to do your homework before. Um, you might want to go to a non-attorney parent advocate and have a bit of a team and have, have you know, basically someone else guide you who has experience with this. Right. Um, but classification and, you know, another, gives protection. And another thing that, that will come up with, with these children with behavioral issues is evaluations. Now, um, I'm not going to take up time in this, these series, but we do have several 
unbelievable interviews on the psychoeducational evaluations and the neuropsych evaluations, um, the difference between the two, and um, the pros and cons of getting it done through the district at no cost to you and having them done privately. But you will be, um, if you have a child that has a mental illness or behavioral issues, you will be asked to have these tests done so that they can have a better understanding of um, the child's struggles. So um, if you want, you can look back um, at the Coffee Clatch and you can find those interviews. But, you know, I know one, um, when, when you talk about classifications, there are different classifications. I know that one um, that is often used for these children is other health impaired. Mm-hmm. So um, can you explain that a little bit? Okay. The federal and state regulations define each of these classifications. And this is kind of the beauty of the IDEA. Your label doesn't matter as long as you get a label. Other health impaired, you will hear people saying OHI. And the other label you might hear if a child has a behavioral issue is ED, that's emotionally disabled. So these are, I'm not going to go through and read the exact Mm -hmm. definitions, but um, other other health impaired is kind of this catch-all. And it can embrace ADHD, dyslexias in in the statute. It's it's referred to in another section, another classification. And anxiety comes under ED. But think about it. ED also encompasses people who have behavioral disruption. A child Mm -hmm. with anxiety, when they're put in a class with a bunch of kids who who have emotional dysregulation and they can't sit down and they might be oppositional defiant, that child with anxiety is going to crawl into a corner, put their hands over their heads, and just, they're going to be gone. So parents have to know that that ED classification might then get their extremely anxious child put into a class with children who who have different needs that do need to be, you know, want to be respectful to those kids too. They need to be where they need to be. But that anxious right. child might, you, in that case, you might say, look, I want to have a, a classification of OHI, of other health impaired. Here's the thing. It's not a drop-down menu. If you get classified as ED or OHI, see how much you guys know now? You know what I mean when I say ED and OHI? Isn't that cool? So you don't get, if you're you don't get this, that, and the other thing. You know, it's not like a, a menu. Vani, we're losing you. Um, you're you're very muddled um, right now. Okay, hold on. Someone's trying. That's there probably getting buzzed. Okay, there you go. Are we in? Yes. All right. Um, the classification doesn't deter- doesn't drive the services and accommodations that you get. So it kind of doesn't matter whether you get the ED label or the OHI label or the learning disabled label. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. The only matter. The only label in New York where you get something very specific is the autism label because then you are entitled to parent training. But other than that, if you are – look, you can have two different things. You can have an ADHD child who's – um, dyslexic. You can have a bipolar child who's dyslexic. Right. So, do we 
which what label do we use? Which is why those those evaluations are so important. But I'm glad that you brought up um, because the, and we're about to wrap up this um, segment. But um, I just want the listeners to know that in the next segment, what um, Bonnie was just talking about about the. Um, the two different um, classifications and, you know, what's the best fit. That's what we're going to be talking about in the next um, segment, um, where about, you know, the school gives a recommendation and it's, you don't think it's going to work. But um, so, you know, I'm glad that we got through this. So the parents now know what a 504 is, what an IEP is, um, where, what, what the difference is, and the fact that really what the child gets from um, both are the same. It's just a matter of accountability and benchmarking for the child. So um, I think this is great. We're going to move on in a little bit, but are there any closing words on the 504 and the um, and the IEP, IEP? Yeah, you know, you asked about addressing gift, and I think that's really important. In the IEP, you have goals, and those goals can address the difficulties the child is having. But it also provides a profile of the child, and you're entitled to have their gift recognized. And parents, I want you to know you have a voice, you have rights. The IDEA guarantees you a right of meaningful participation, so you should ask questions. Um, My one closing remark is to please send all requests to your school in writing um, no need to be angry with them. You can always be polite. That will always help. But get everything in writing if you can. Well, on our next segment, which will be airing next Monday, we are going to be talking about the IDEA. We're going to be talking about, um, you know, working in situations. I mean, there are some districts like mine that were, you know, very forthcoming. And then they can become very adversarial, especially if you feel that, um, you know, the accommodations being offered are not best for your child. So we're going to go into that um, next Monday. And then the following Monday, we are going to be talking about um, the IEP. Is it a contract? Do you need an attorney? What is a special education advocate? You know, what's all the emotional stuff that goes on and how to handle it? So I thank you for joining us today, and we will be back next week. If you would like to find Bonnie, you can find her at www.shenagelaw.com. That's S-C-H-I-N-A-G-L-E, law.com. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.